0: Hello friends, I'm your host Connor Snyder, and it is hard to be human. Today's hard thing, anxiety.
1: I don't remember when I first developed anxiety. I have always had it. I remember being a kid laying in bed over analyzing social situations, things that happened during the day. I could never sleep because I couldn't stop thinking about the most trivial things. As I got older, my anxiety seemed to get worse. Or perhaps I'm forced to interact with more of my anxiety triggers as an adult. Now I feel my body physically manifest my anxiety in the form of stomach pain, pretty severe bruxism or teeth grinding, and jaw clenching. I'm still trying to find strategies to manage my anxiety, as my anxiety is primarily social anxiety. I have found that spending time with my dogs helps, exercise helps, but nothing totally gets rid of that gnawing feeling I almost always have in my gut. If there is anything I wish people knew about how to treat people with intense anxiety, it's this. No matter how well-intentioned, please don't say things like, it's not that big of a deal, or stop stressing, don't worry, you're making it worse by stressing about it. I wish people knew that I'm not choosing to stress over seemingly unimportant things. I can't help it. I can't stop stressing, worrying. I'm going to stress about it. I'm going to worry about things that nobody else worries about. If at all possible, I have found it helps me when people say things like, how can I help? Or do you want to talk it through? Then I have the option to talk it out if I want to or retreat if I need to. Also, please do not be offended if someone in your life who has anxiety doesn't want to hang out or spend time with you, particularly in a place with a lot of people. Sometimes I get to a point where I cannot engage anymore in social interaction. I have to be alone in bed because I just can't handle anymore. I just wish people knew that it isn't because of them. I just know my limits and I know what happens if I push too far. I think it's great you're covering this on your podcast. For years, I couldn't even admit I had anxiety because of my perception of the stigma around it. Good luck as you put everything together, Jessica.
0: Since this is the inaugural episode of the It's Hard to Be Human podcast, I want to introduce you to myself and explain the purpose of this show. So first, kind of the big question, why do I want to talk about hard stuff? (laughs) You know, it's surprising how many lives we can live within our lifetimes. I've been a devout Mormon missionary, which was its own whole lifestyle a married college student again a whole other lifestyle and then now i'm a divorced atheist and that's a whole different life and that's just my early 20s and as i've gone through so many paradigm shifts and absolutely wiggity-whack experiences it was interesting to see just how much the way i think can change every established pattern of my life at several key moments was totally disrupted, and the challenges that followed led to me finding, finding a new version of myself. And that's the thing about hard experiences. If you ask anyone to tell you about the moments that define their life, chances are it won't be about going to Disneyland or the best ice cream sandwich they ever had. In my personal life, many of the things that make up my identity and values were forged by the struggles I had to work through. Hard times have a way of purifying us and stripping down the extraneous parts of us to our purest, truest selves. And honestly, that isn't always a pretty look. Hard times, for better or worse, give us clarity. And in the interest of open, vulnerable conversation, I think clarity is invaluable. Difficulty, in many ways, defines us, but rarely do we ever present those struggles publicly. I think what can be an An honest attempt at optimism can actually distort reality, creating a constant pressure to put a smile on our faces and pretend like life is just roses, avocado toast, and beach vacations. But our Instagram stories don't tell the full story. So I want to talk about the hard things because those are often the things that define us. But I also want to remind everyone that you aren't alone in having hard things. It's an obvious observation that human problems are as unique as human themselves, but sometimes I worry that our own awareness of our own uniqueness can be needlessly isolating. I was a devout Mormon who then decided, after a lot of thought, that it wasn't for me. That experience of leaving my spiritual home was incredibly traumatic and difficult. But I only made it more painful for myself when I, very early on, made the mistake of believing that only people that had left Mormonism could understand me or empathize with my experience at all. Even though other people have left religion before, their journey wasn't mine. Every time someone tried to offer a hand of support, I would doubt their motives, or I would lash out in anger to try and just justify why I was doing what I was doing. I was convinced that my experience was uniquely mine and therefore nobody else could understand what I was going through. And while that was uniquely my experience, and no one really could understand what that experience was like moment to moment for me, the emotions I felt during that time were human experiences that transcend the narratives that surround them. Since my faith crisis, Some of the most beautiful and important conversations I've had about leaving my religion have come from dear friends and family who are still Mormon or never had any ties to Mormonism at all, or even never religious at all. So while your individual challenges may be uniquely yours to face, our human experiences have common threads that we can all relate to. Hopefully, you will hear a piece of your own story in the stories shared in this podcast, and i have hopefully you'll feel less of an obligation to present a flawless version of yourself to others and maybe less of an obligation to present a flawless version to yourself. Warts and all I want to explore the hard parts of the human condition through the lived experiences of human beings because that's what this podcast is for. Religious humans, gay humans, privileged humans, poor humans, humans of every color and creed and country. The world seems so divided And I hope that by examining our pain with compassion, that we might see just how similar we all actually are. And so that's why the format of this podcast is kind of me jumping in, sharing some thoughts, but then sharing personal experiences and stories from people that have decided to contribute to this conversation. Um, With that being said, the things that people say and the advice that they offer. It's theirs. It's their perspective and experience. And there's going to be a lot of variation there. For some people, their experience with anxiety is going to be very manageable or maybe only just for a short period of their lives. For others, it's going to be extremely intense, something that's ongoing with active, deliberate effort with therapists um, and clinicians to maintain a high level of functionality in their day-to-day life. And these are their stories, and these are their ways of, of dealing with a very hard thing in their lives. And so, as we enter into this conversation, approach it with compassion, and approach it with the understanding that other people's experience is going to be different than yours, and maybe challenge some of your assumptions. But it is equally valuable because it is, it is a story from an equally valuable human being. And so with that,
2: let's get into it. So I get anxiety um, pretty often when I'm when it's nighttime and I'm about to go to bed, and uh, generally it's it's about either finances or a relationship that's dumb. Um, But the and it just kind of comes on. I I I don't know. There's nothing that really triggers it. Um, But the way I I deal with it, the best way that I found is to go to the worst-case scenario Um in that. So, like, for example, financially, the worst-case scenario, I have to sell everything. I don't have a job. I have no income. I have to move in with family or something to get back on my feet. Um But anyway, th- thinking through it like that, it helps me to realize that even worst-case scenario, it's not – that bad, like I'm going to be fine and um, and usually it, it goes away and that's uh, my experience with anxiety in a nutshell.
3: I dropped out during my senior year of high school and opted to get a, my GED because my anxiety in high school was crippling. I could barely make it to school because of general anxiety and social anxiety. My attendance was so poor during my sophomore year that I had to do a home and hospital program to move on to junior year. Junior year came along and it wasn't any better. I'd do my best to make it to school, but once I was there, I just sat in the bathroom stalls pretty often. If I was in class, I'd make any excuse to leave. I could barely focus on anything other than breathing so I could make it through. Passing time between classes was the worst because I had to walk through crowds. And that's usually when my anxiety would peak. Anyway, my mom saw that I wasn't doing well and figured moving away in the middle of the school year would be a good option. New environment, new people. It was a good thing at first, honestly. I enrolled in charter school that had about a 100 students from grades 9 to 12. We were located on a commercial lot occupying two of the suites there. I was able to take a ballroom class, which really helped with my anxiety. Dancing, for me, was the thing that helped me most during that time, and it really helped that there weren't huge crowds of people during passing and that class sizes were small. I finished my junior year strong. I'm pretty sure I didn't miss a single day of school. Then senior year came along, and the charter school had actually relocated and was now a real school, no longer in a commercial lot, They built the school over the summer. It was cool at first, but because it was an actual school now, there were significantly more students, including middle schoolers. I was still taking dance and for a few weeks it helped with my anxiety. But the more time passed and the more I had to be around people, my anxiety swelled. A few weeks after homecoming, I decided to quit school. I had started missing school again because my anxiety was getting worse. Celia.
0: Our brains are very weird. If you've looked at any of those gross surgery videos, right in the hole of that poor patient's skull, you'll just see this big squishy gray blob. Weird to think that that's where all of your thinking actually happens. Your brain is really incredible, but it's also a lazy loser. Instead of always acting perfectly rational in every situation, it compiles all of your memories and tries to take mental shortcuts when you're making decisions. Sometimes our past experiences make our brains take shortcuts where we have an instant emotional response to something instead of acting rationally. And this isn't always a bad thing. Let's say you're a cave person. You're just sitting there leaning up against your cave wall, relaxing by the fire after a day of picking berries, drawing cave drawings, when suddenly a jaguar walks into your cave. Yeah, jaguar. Your brain would send signals all through your body, giving it a physical reaction to what it perceived as a threat, right? And it would happen fairly automatically. Your mind tries to preemptively prepare your body to deal with a really stressful situation. And in this example, it's a jaguar fight, but for us it might look more like preparing for the emotional toll of like a potential breakup, or the stress of a potential job loss, or messing up in a social interaction, or dealing with the consequences of failing some sort of responsibility because it's not like babies have terrible struggles with anxiety, right? Like if you're a baby, you might just look at that jaguar and laugh or cry. You're not gonna have any sort of experience to base your reactions on, which is obvious. You're a baby, you haven't lived a life. But that lack of experience is the difference. Brains are flexible, trainable things thanks to a neat little feature called neuroplasticity. As we age and just kind of level up through life, we mold neuropathways, pathways, essentially chemical habits that create those reactionary mental shortcuts. Anxiety is mental shortcuts doing what they're supposed to be doing in situations they necessarily shouldn't be. We have a trigger, something that raises a red flag to our brains to our existing responses that we've built up through our experiences. And before we can begin to logically understand what's happening, we're having a physiological response kicked in by our brain taking a mental shortcut to respond to that outside stimuli. In pre-modern human existence without phones or desk jobs or a mountain of cultural expectations, anxiety would probably kick in when it made a lot of sense. But the modern human world doesn't really look like the natural world. So sometimes our natural human hardware has a hard time just keeping up with, with, with what's going on around us. Like I said, triggers aren't always completely logical. Sometimes it can be someone just sending you a vaguely worded text. Do diddly do dee do, I'm having a lovely day. The sun is shining, I'm just strolling along. and Oh, here's a text. someone I care about. I really should take a look at it and see what it is because I love them lots and value them lots. And let's see, hey you, we need to talk. Hey you, we need to talk. Oh my God, what's going on? Is there a problem? What do we need to talk about? What are they talking about? It's me, isn't it? I always do this one thing and I do it so poorly and wrong. And oh no, this is it. This is the end of it, no! In my own experience, trying to fight my anxiety in the middle of an anxious episode is completely useless, which is really frustrating. You can feel the logical part of your brain telling you to stop acting so emotional, but your body just doesn't seem to shake it off. Try not to be too hard on yourself in these moments, and remember that your brain is just one body part. Just because your brain has made sense of something doesn't mean the rest of your body has caught up completely yet.
4: Hey, Connor, here to leave you a message about anxiety. Um, I feel like my anxiety stems mostly from not having control in my life and not knowing what certain outcomes are going to be. And I think the way that I've kind of helped ease that anxiety is controlling the aspects of my life that I can. Um, I've always been, I can't do any, like, work unless my workstation area is completely clean um and kind of just organized. And I can't, you know, do anything. I get stressed out if my house isn't clean or my car isn't clean. So i like, it just adds to my anxiety. So in order to, like, calm myself, I just take control of those things, making sure, like, my life's organized and I, I put everything in the planner and to-do list. So I'm not forgetting things because I have a lot of anxiety about, you know, forgetting to get stuff done. And it's not really confronting my anxiety, but it's just trying to ease the areas in my life that I do have control over. And then I used to be, uh, I used to let my anxiety, uh, really like get at me and I'd get really angry like when I I play golf competitively and I would get really stressed out of that hole and I would do, start doing bad on that hole and I'd get worked up and get really angry about it that I wasn't doing well and that I was throwing my team down. And, uh, that made me a worse golf player because I was, put all my anger into what I was doing. And I had to then like kind of just stop and take a few breaths and just remember like don't sweat small things. Um forget about what happened on this hole and move on to the next one and try to clear my head and, and do my best at the next thing. And these aren't necessarily ways that like to really confront anxiety, but it's the small ways that I've managed it. Take control of the parts of your life that you can and then try to remind yourself in the areas that you don't necessarily have full control of to just try not to sweat the small stuff too much and try to remember that you can't have control over everything Um, and just know that what's coming is going to come and kind of just be okay with that. Um, So no surefire ways to deal with anxiety, but just a few ways that I've managed to calm mine a little bit.
5: Hey dude, I'm studying sports psychology, and I can give some tidbits from empirical research and anxiety and its relation to performance. So anxiety is multidimensional. It can be known as cognitive anxiety, worry, racing thoughts, anything to do with the mind, and somatic anxiety, which refers to anxiety of the body, sweating, tight muscles, loss of blood to the brain. So really, I guess it depends on what type of anxiety you're referring to. Once you understand the type of anxiety, there are cognitive behavioral methods which focus on controlling and minimizing anxiety, or a newer, more effective method is focused on mindfulness, focusing on the moment to moment, and acceptance and commitment therapy, which relates to accepting that anxiety is a normal human reaction and that it is time limited. Then, the commitment side refers to remembering your values and committing to do actions and behaviors in alignment with those values rather than with the current emotions you are feeling. There are also different types of anxiety, ranging from normal, subclinical to clinical. So because of this, the treatment would be different depending on the extent of the anxiety. My personal thoughts on dealing with anxiety, though, is to use a strategy called cognitive restructuring to change the meaning of the anxiety I am feeling. So for me, if I'm going to give a presentation to a large audience and I begin to feel my mind racing and I can feel the sweat starting to run, then I laugh and remind myself that this must be something that I care about. Then I accept the feeling rather than trying to get rid of it. I trust my preparation that I have put into whatever the event is because I have trained for that event and go for it. So rather than viewing anxiety as a bad reaction to an upcoming event, I use it to remind me that I care about this event and the people associated with it. This is one of many strategies I employ, but find it useful when dealing with anxiety. Kyle.
0: Self-awareness is a little strange. We think thoughts all the time, But isn't it odd that we can also be self-aware that we are thinking thoughts? We can be feeling extremely sad, but also be aware that we are sad, and then even aware that our sadness isn't logical. Have you ever heard that analogy of the elephant, the elephant rider, and the path? Jonathan Haidt, a renowned psychologist, compares the elephant to our emotions, the elephant rider to our logic, and the path as our external environment. We might be aware that we need to get somewhere, but a tiny little human has no way to force a six-ton elephant to move when it doesn't want to. And if that elephant is feeling restless and wants to run, then it's going to run. If you want to successfully navigate the path of life in productive directions, remember, logic doesn't beat out emotion by default. And if that isn't readily apparent, try reasoning with someone in the heat of puberty. Emotions shouldn't be ignored, they demand attention. The other important lesson here is that your logical, goal-setting, plan-making brain can be separate from your emotions. Learning to embrace that awareness of self and kind of see it as a meta-awareness, which is something that a lot of people who are into meditation talk about. Um, They kind of remove themselves from um, any sort of stresses or triggers and just kind of watch their thoughts wander. And as you watch your thoughts wander, you start to recognize that you're always thinking. You're always thinking about something and you're kind of just, if you're not careful, you can just kind of wander off into a thought trail and work yourself up about something. And just being aware that your brain always is drifting off um, requires that kind of meta-awareness and practicing recognizing that can help you strategize and also give validity to your emotions and thoughts without over-identifying with them. I definitely have anxiety in social situations where I feel like the things I say are going to be stupid. I'll be in a room with friends and I'll make a joke that doesn't land and then I'll just cringe long after anyone has forgotten or even cares about what I said. And then I'll wake up the next morning with like wincing and kind of have this embarrassment hangover. And there are days that I really see the appeal in just not seeing anybody and hiding out in isolation rather than exhausting myself trying to feel like I fit in. But I also want to have friends, meaningful relationships, and have a valuable conversation. My emotional brain here is at odds with my logical one, and I have to figure out a way to get them to work together to get where I want to go. Separating my anxious feelings from my ideals and self-narrative is an important tool for me. I ride the elephant when I can, and if it doesn't wanna move, then I don't make it move. Acceptance that you feel those feelings is an important part of valuing that emotional elephant you're riding and valuing yourself. Then, finding the balance between maintaining your sanity and pushing yourself forward out of your comfort zone will keep you moving. Even if your pace to progress feels slow, progress is progress. If therapy or doctor prescribed medication gives you the ability to calm that elephant, then you should absolutely do those things. They're tools and they can enable you to have a greater degree of control. And that's super hard (laughs) and it's super lonely. That's the part of anxiety that's really uncomfortable. Our triggers and our history behind them are all uniquely our own. The work that it takes to manage is also unique to each person. So take the time to celebrate your wins. When I've had stints of feeling my life, like, like my life is just struggle, struggle, day after day struggle, it's good to take your eyes off this need to f- be making progress all the time and just look back on the progress you've already made. I know when I've done that, I've been surprised to just realize how, I've, how far I've come in a year or six months. Um, while I, my mind has just been in the trenches of trying to move forward, I've actually moved forward. Um, and sometimes we need to really stop and recognize we did move forward. Because it's easy for to forget.
6: I'm a very outgoing person. I'm an extrovert. The thing that no one would believe is that before I even open my mouth in front of even a small group of people, I get severe anxiety. It's been the strangest dichotomy of my existence. I'm an extrovert who has anxiety before every substantial connection with people. When I'm disconnected from people, I get depressed. Thus, I have to make a choice before every interaction. Do I fight the anxiety now or deal with possible depression later? Granted, I don't get immediately depressed if I don't speak with someone, however, if I give in to the anxiety too many times, then I do start to feel that depressive and inducing withdrawal from people. So I've gotten used to approaching the situation with the mindset of face the feelings now so I don't have to face it later. After doing that for so many years, it is now a second nature. It isn't second nature to not have anxiety, but fighting anxiety has become just as routine as brushing my teeth. Sometimes this causes me to feel like I'm in a constant fight or flight mode, After all, battling anxiety all the time can't place one in a state of ease. But for me, I make sure to set aside certain times during the week or weekend when I know I will not have to face any anxious moments. During those times, I make sure to shy away from any type of anxiety trigger. It's always a tit for tat. Sometimes I cannot be sociable or outgoing. People perceive me as arrogant, blowing them off or chilled. I don't mean to seem that way. But sometimes I also have to make a choice of pleasing someone and facing the anxiety of hanging out when I'm not able, or making sure I take care of myself and risk someone gathering a less than favorable opinion of me. Ryan.
1: What I have learned through my experience with anxiety is to come up with mantras. So whatever you're anxious about, you come up with a positive phrase to repeat again and again. For instance, if you have a fear of driving, you might tell yourself the mantra of, I love to drive, I feel happy when I drive. You repeat that to yourself as many times as you possibly can, usually while you're falling asleep. I think this helps because you need to put that into your subconscious and it will manifest. It's kind of like the idea of fake it till you make it, because you will make it. The subconscious is incredible. In the long term, mantras have changed my life, repeating them each night for whatever I'm struggling with. Usually it's more of a general statement if I'm not really anxious, like I am happy, I am happy, I am happy, again and again and again.
0: I think it's really interesting how we remember our lives we always seem to do it through this kind of storybook way of doing it you know like i was born and i came out of the womb and then this happened so i became this way and then this happened so i became this way and then this happened so i became that way and all the way up until we die right and kind of viewing our life through this storybook method can easily get problematic you know Here's a story from my personal life. When I was a little kid, I got these cool Christmas ornaments, and I'm sure I was super, super excited about them, right? Cool little Santa, cool little penguin. Wow, they're really cool, they're really neat. Turns out that these Christmas ornaments were actually the add on of filling up your tank of gas when my parents were really poor they went to a gas station and managed to scrounge up some coins to put gas in the tank and were given these and that was my christmas present that year the narrative i could draw from those christmas ornaments could be either one cool ornaments those are really rad and really fun and i really loved those or two isn't it so sad that my parents were struggling so much that the only thing they could give me for christmas were these free add-on gifts for the gas station right Um, And then there's a whole other bunch of narratives that I could draw from that one experience. Like my parents care so much about me that they were looking for ways that they could give me a Christmas present, even though that was something that they were really struggling with at the time. Or my parents didn't care about me enough to save all year long so they could get me this Christmas present. You, You can see how there's so many different interpretations I could take of that event. And then I could let that event become my worldview and the way I view myself. And so... When I went to therapy after having some struggles with anxiety my therapist recommended this treatment called narrative therapy where you actually take your formative moments of your life and re-examine the narratives that you have in relationship to those and draw the interpretations that are going to help you be the most functional person that you can and I think things like Katie's mantras are really popular with a lot of people as a way to try and build positive narratives around yourself themselves because you know you can maybe have a really low self-esteem and think that there's some unique trait about you that makes people not want to be your friend or be around you. But maybe the flip side of that coin is the people that do want to be around you, it's because they really value that unique trait about you. And focusing on that narrative, the narrative of the people around you loving your uniqueness rather than the people that are not around you because not loving your uniqueness can also help us manage our anxiety in a way that's much healthier and much more functional. But sometimes, no matter how hard we try to think and talk positive, relief doesn't come. Sometimes our anxiety is much more deep-seated than that.
1: I have a few fun anxiety-type disorders I've been diagnosed with. I have PTSD, generalized anxiety, and dissociative disorder. I have a pretty traumatic background, which have caused, amplified some fun genetic stuff I also inherited. That being said, it's impacted mainly my personal relationships. I maintain and cope mostly in my profession. For treatment, I have done talk therapy and EMDR. EMDR is my newest treatment I've been doing, and it is by far the most healing I've had. I also have two certified emotional support animals, my dogs, who help me feel safe living alone. My self-care game is very strong. I have at least one day a week where I devote the whole day to just making sure my sense of self is being taken care of. I typically like to read a few books at a time and almost always there's some sort of personal development book in there. Brene Brown and Jenny Lawson are favorites. PTSD at some points has impacted my everyday life. There was a point where I was triggered sometimes a few times a day. Things linked to multiple traumatic instances would send me into a spiral or cause dissociation. I have an extremely hard time connecting romantically with men, and I've had to put serious work into trusting the opposite sex. That's a pretty generalized idea of how anxiety has impacted me. Happy to say with constant work, healthy coping skills, and loving the way my brain works. I've come a long ways and made a lot of progress with my anxiety. Though, those of us with it know it can be a bit of a roller coaster. I also have lots of tools to help me cope with when I'm in a down cycle. Being aware of how my brain works has made all the difference in finding healthy, effective coping and treatment. Amanda.
0: Anxiety, especially severe anxiety, often goes hand in hand with trauma. If you have a loved one that shows signs of severe anxiety, make sure to create a space where they feel comfortable being vulnerable and can open up to you about issues they may be having. For someone that does not experience anxiety, it is not always easy to be sensitive to the needs of others. I was in a relationship where my partner had a very traumatic past and those experiences had given them triggers that I didn't completely understand. While she was suffering with the repercussions of her past trauma, I was judging her and telling her she wasn't doing enough, that she should try harder, and that she was being overly sensitive. It established a bad precedent of how I viewed her emotions and the role emotions could play in our relationship. So if you have a partner who has anxiety, keep in mind that treating them as an irrational person is likely creating an inaccurate representation of your relationship. People are not emotions, especially not their most anxious ones. Having an irrational emotional response to someone who's experiencing their own irrational emotional response isn't going to solve anything. You're fighting fire with fire. More than likely, it's just going to taint the way you view each other's emotions. If you're experiencing severe anxiety, talk to a professional. There are treatments that can absolutely improve the quality of your life. Be willing to try different therapists and be willing to try again if the timing wasn't right the first time. This podcast is therapy positive.
2: Hey, so first off, I just think
7: it's a great idea that you're choosing this uh topic for your podcast to start off with. Um I appreciate that you're building awareness and helping educate people about this um so the tricky thing with anxiety is that for me, anxiety it manifests itself differently uh day to day or maybe throughout uh the week differently or like one week it'll manifest itself in one way, and then the next week it'll be current and it can just feeling overwhelmed to um, having irritable bowels for a week to uh, just being able to focus very clearly or having this awful pit in your stomach or a weight in your chest. Um, it's it's weird how it chooses to manifest itself differently just for no reason at all. Um, and that's one thing that I think I'd love people to start to understand when it comes to an anxiety disorder that, there doesn't really have to be a reason to feel the anxiety. A lot of people ask, what's wrong? What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Everything's, everything seems pretty good. Um, maybe sometimes when I am stressed out about something in life, it manifests itself even in in worse ways. Uh, but from a day-to-day perspective, when everything's going pretty well, there's not really a good reason to feel anxious, and uh, there's not, no real way to pinpoint why I might feel anxious um, even today, I've had a really nice, relaxing morning and I've just got full no reason at all. And so it's hard to really explain to people why you might feel that way and you just do. Um, lucky for me, I found a good ways to manage my anxiety and, and I don't have, like in it, but to manage it and get through the day to day without it interfering with my relationships or my work life. Um, kind of the typical things people probably shared before. But with a good diet and eating well, vegetables, good proteins, um, and making sure that I'm eating good grains, and I just really take care of myself that way has been helpful. Exercising frequently and regularly, uh, getting my heartbeat going, and just move, boosting those endorphins and boosting the serotonin. Uh, some other things that I'll do to help myself calm down is using moths and tell myself, um, trying to change my my cognitive thinking so that my cognitive thinking will affect my behavior through mantras. and ends up hey, everything's all good, and um, I'm powerful, or I'm successful. Um, Doing breathing exercises, um, inhaling, and then exhaling, and focusing on that for a while has been really helpful. And practicing mindfulness instead to worry about things in the future, focusing on this now. There is
0: a lot of unnecessary shame about people admitting they struggle with anxiety and other mental health issues. And a new thought that's gained a lot of traction is looking at mental health through the lens of neurodiversity. Just like bodies are different, so are minds. The standard definition of what constitutes a mentally healthy person is completely subjective to the cultural standards of how well you are able to participate in broader society. One example of this is just how things have changed recently with more employers recognizing mental health days as sick days. Historically, even getting a sick day required you to be really ill, and taking a day off work because you felt anxious would have been laughed at. A key part of neurodiversity is recognizing that regardless of our personal struggles with mental health, there is space for us. Framing the conversation as mental illness can imply that something's wrong with you, But if we are having an epidemic of people struggling with mental health issues, perhaps the problem isn't with individuals, but society at large. Being vulnerable and willing to talk about your own personal struggles with anxiety not only helps you live more authentically, but contributes to a broader cultural conversation about how important mental health is and ways to make our lives more accommodating of our psychological needs.
2: And
7: so um, I want to share my ideas on maybe why I think anxiety might be more prevalent or more recognized in today's society. Um, so first of all, I think that we become much more mindful of mental illness or, or pro- people problems people might be facing when it comes to their emotional and mental health. Um, and so I think that's good. We're recognizing it more in people. I think maybe people in the past were more, maybe they experienced depression or anxiety or even more severe mental illnesses, and we didn't treat them uh, with the right respect uh, or we didn't treat the the illness in the way that we should have. And I think as uh, society has progressed, we've worked really hard to try to figure out how to help people who feel anxious or depressed or might have really severe mental illnesses. Um, so that's probably why it's become more recognized. Uh, we realize it's a problem, and we realize that we have made mistakes in the past of how we treated it. Uh, reasons and these opinions of why it might be prevalent more in today's society, these are totally opinions. Uh I'm not a doctor or a scientist. This is just my own thoughts. Um, I think as a society, we're less active, um, and we eat Worse than we probably have been a long time, uh, with all these additives that we have in our food and preservatives that we have in our food. Um, and just how we run our day to day lives. We sit at desks most of the day. Uh, we use our brains most of the day. They're just tired and exhausted as we're not moving. And I think as an, as a species of humans that we're meant to move and to be active and to, uh, face real challenges. That through movement and, and exertion that we can burn off our anxiety and our stress response. But instead, we just let that stress build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. We go to work, we sit at a desk, we get stressed, we come home, we sit on the couch, we get, we try to relax, but our body has not been able to burn off that stress response. And I think that makes a huge difference. And then, and socially, we have social media and the news, it's right in our face all the time, uh, it's always better on the other side. Kind of grass is greener, social media, but at the same time, we're all saying everything that's wrong in the world every single day, um, and that stuff is blown up into huge proportions. And I think that's really affected how people feel emotionally um, through their day-to-day lives. I hope some of this information was helpful, and um, hopefully, you can use it for your podcast. And thanks for letting me be part of it. Bye.
0: Today, I'm sitting down with my friend Andrew, who I've known since high school, and he was willing to volunteer and kind of share some of his thoughts and experiences with anxiety. So, I'm really going to turn the time over to him and kind of let him talk from his experience. So, hello, Andrew. Thanks for coming over. Hello, Connor. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, I, uh, I just want to know, kind of, when did you start to realize that you were struggling with anxiety?
8: Right. Uh, the first time I realized it and, uh, it more, it was more with depression. I know for a lot of people, anxiety and depression are kind of that double-edged sword, um, where, and that started happening kind of my senior year of high school. Um, I acknowledged that I was depressed. I talked to my mom about it, talked to my girlfriend about it. And, uh, I was, I was definitely anxious. I just didn't know what to call that yet. When Uh, you, when you, sorry to interrupt me, but like
0: when you first realized that or acknowledged it, was that kind of a hard thing? I know a lot of people feel like there's a lot of stigma around anxiety that it's kind of like admitting this weakness. And for some people that's kind of like a big deal to actually admit it. Or was that kind of just like, a, Oh, Hey, I've got the symptoms here. This is obviously what it is.
8: Right. I think that was part of it, but a bigger part was more, I was just confused by it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, kind of built up over a few years. And once it hit me really hard, I was like, Oh, what is this? You know, it might be depression. Talk to my mom, talk to other people. And it, you know, I kind of landed on that's what it was. Um, and, uh, as it got worse, like as it kind of worsened through my first couple of years of college, when I was experiencing pretty severe personal loss, um, that's when, that's when I learned, you know, what it was, what it felt like, how to kind of think about it and process it and analyze it. And then, uh, and then from there, um, eventually learning to to kind of manage it and then eventually control it but so when you say you're like started to to learn learn about it what it was how
0: to control how to manage it was this kind of like you found resources or people that kind of helped like explain this to you or was it very much kind of like a i've got to learn this on myself experiment kind of thing
8: um yeah that's i I guess i should bring in a, a disclaimer that i kind of have prepared for this is that everyone's anxiety everyone's depression everyone's Thoughts, feelings, and emotions are absolutely different and unique, right? And, yep. and because of that, um, I want you know, I don't want people to think that me or probably anyone else on this podcast is offering an easy solution or an easy set of tools or an easy thing that's going to help you. Because honestly, the most annoying thing you could hear when you're anxious or depressed is, "Oh, here's how you can take care of it." Totally. Right. Yep. And so, um, just being aware of that and kind of sending that disclaimer out there that I'm not trying to tell anyone how to fix themselves. I'm just saying what worked for me in hopes that they can take snippets of that and apply it, you know, use those tools the same way I use them. Mm-hmm. Um, so being aware of it, being, being uh, uh, kind of learning to manage it came from, I've just always been a super hyper-analytical person, hyper-observant, hyper-analytical, and, um, and when that manifests through anxiety and depression, you end up being hyper analytical and hyper focused on the wrong things, right? Mm-hmm. The things that are out of your control, the things that just end up making you mad, the things that um, end up making you sad, and and so with with some therapy and talking to the right people, I learned how to recognize when that's happening, and then you know, then using some of the tools that I have that um, that I can talk about an or later that that kind of helped me deal with that and overcome
0: it no yeah let's kind of jump into that so when you do you feel like um anxiety is something that's kind of like a resolved issue for you do you feel like it's kind of like more of an ongoing thing do you feel like there's um you know because some people they hear anxiety and they feel like you know throw a pill at it or like Mm -hmm. go to therapy for a couple weeks and it's not gonna be a problem and at least in my experience with it it's it's much more roller theory and ebb and flow and like there could be like a six month period where it's like really intense and then you could have a year of it off and then it like flares up again. You're like, why am I feeling anxious all the time? Like but how does that kind of play out for you?
8: So for a while it played out where I was just anxious all the time, all day, every day about almost everything. And that was due to some of that personal loss I, I described. I had a couple friends pass away within the couple years of each other, and that was really hard on top of the anxiety depression I was already experiencing. Um, and it still, it still peaks up. I know that I say I found ways to manage it and to control it. And I use those words because it definitely still pops up and it definitely still sneaks in. But now that I can recognize it, um, once it does pop up, instead of letting it kind of take over, I take over, you know, the anxiety, um, and use my tools to control it.
0: Um, yeah. So like, let's talk about those. Like what are some of your tools and strategies that you use to kind of control it?
8: The best way that I can explain it is kind of taking you through the kind of my uh, my journey that I took to to kind of deal with it. So um, first thing I did was uh, recognize and admitted and, and and made the first steps to go to therapy. Right, I was on medication for a little while in college, and that does help. Um, it helped me, you know, for six months, maybe a year. But there, I've I've heard that that that's kind of the efficacy rate of. SSRIs and pills like that is that they'll they'll rock your world for six months nine months one year and then they kind of become less less effective and then so they'll put you on a new one or switch you to another one but after going through a couple different medications I finally found a really good therapist up in Logan where I was uh, going to school and one of the first things that we talked about and that he my therapist um, kind of helped me with was really embracing a lot of what I kind of consider cliches of like be yourself and live in the moment and, you know, um, don't compare yourself to other people. He used this great crayon analogy, crayon analogy, where uh, he was saying, you know, you're your own color of crayon. Everyone's their own color of crayon. There's no reason why you should try to be, you know, match their color. You, mm-hmm. you get to shine as your own color. Um, and so, first learning not to compare myself to other people, um, not, not comparing them, not. It, it kind of came down to when I was anxious, it was either because I wanted to be more like someone else, I was mad because I wanted them to be more like me, and those comparisons, um, I don't know who's exactly is quoted saying it, but comparison is the killer of joy. The mm-hmm. second you start saying, you know, be like me, let me be like you, it can be really toxic and it can have kind of a negative uh, effect on your mindset. So the thing after comparison, um, along with that came connection and communication, learning how to connect with people, learning how to communicate with people. Uh, our mutual friend Joe taught me a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so going to therapy, learning not to compare myself, learning from Joe not to, you know, to connect and communicate with people mm-hmm. really just brought a lot of value to my life where I hadn't <laughs> seen value there before. Um, the next thing I learned, and this is one that I taught myself, is I noticed I was really impatient a lot someone would piss me off and I'd stay pissed and I'd be impatient and I'd want them to fix and do what I wanted. Right. So once I learned to be patient and that's that kind of live in the moment idea where plan ahead, do what you got to do to navigate your life, but be patient, um, be positive, be compassionate, be caring, be loving. Um, some more cliches to throw your way, but, uh, kind of using those tools just, it's a lot of mindset, uh, instead of, instead of letting your mind go every which way and letting the anxiety take over, um, controlling your mindset can help is, is the first step that I use and, and it was never perfect right away. but it was the first tool that I used to really moment to moment um, be in control of what I was thinking and feeling. Um, and that kind of brings me to the next point, of the power of choice. This is the last thing that most people who are anxious or depressed want to hear. but um, you know not a popular opinion, but I made the choice to be happy. I looked at myself and said, I've been miserable for years. I've got the tools to fix it. Now I need to make the choice to put those tools into action and actually fix it. Um, and the patients helped with that a lot because it took a year or two, almost three years to get to the point where I am now, where I'm not an anxious wreck and I can control it. Um, the last part would be taking care of myself physically um, is, you know, the medication was all right short term, but I realized in the last maybe six months to a year that my Diet and my kind of lifestyle had a ton to do with my mental health. Um, once I started eating a little healthier, cutting out sugar, cutting out, you know, not drinking all the time, not not doing other stuff all the time, um, definitely made a huge difference in the steadiness because I would still slip into anxiety, slip into depression every now and then. Once I started eating really healthy and really taking care of myself, that's when I noticed that I could have the most steady control mm-hmm. using all these other tools.
0: It's so interesting how balance seems to play such an important part of it like I I part of you know when you're talking about choice and like that not being like a really a popular opinion because I think a lot of times we we view our anxiety as kind of the result of trauma or past negative experience and so a lot of times our anxiety seems to be rooted in this like psychological reactiveness to something right and I feel like sometimes we like overcorrect and in and we get so caught up in like this uh, this thing happened to me and so now I'm going to act this way forever right. and while I don't think the answer is of course like like you can actually pull yourself out of a situation all the time but the, I think you can more than you think. Like, mm-hmm. there, you have to find the balance of recognizing that you've had some sort of experience that affects you in some way, and then have an equal reaction of choice to that and say, sure, that's happening, but I also still have an element of choice of what I do today in this moment. And whatever happens today is going to be the past tomorrow, and I can try and balance out that trauma as much as I can to the degree that I can. Right. But, yeah. Um, so... You, you are talking to like a lot about cliches, um, is, do you ever feel like, um, you like have a friend or a family member, they're going through anxiety or maybe some other mental illness and you offer up these cliches and it just
8: kind of like falls flat? Oh, they get mad. Family members and friends, whenever I say, oh yeah, all you got to do is choose to be happy and eat healthy and they don't want to listen. And I've been in their shoes. And so that's where I'm really, I'm really hesitant um, and kind of empathetic towards approaching it delicately and saying, like I, like I told you earlier, is uh, here's tools. They worked for me. They might work for you. I highly recommend trying them if you want my help along the way. I'm more than happy to help. Um, but I, I would also say to people who are suffering from anxiety that when people offer advice, please be patient with them. Because they do really mean well, um, even though what they're telling you is, you know, probably pretty ineffective or you don't don't really want to hear it. Right. You don't want to hear. Here's an easy solution. But but be patient with them, because I think ultimately they do want to help. Um,
0: Yeah, no, it's it's, I I think it's a really interesting thing how there's this weird tension or dichotomy or yin yang thing, whatever you want to call it, where you have such a unique experience that forms your personal mental health. But at the same time, there's so much commonality and common strings across such a variety of different people's experiences, right. too. And so you there's this balance of how can I help you individually, but at the same time um, recognize that your experience is completely unique and that I'm never going to actually walk in your shoes moment to moment and give you advice that's like perfectly tailored to you.
8: Right. And that's why it's important to recognize here's tools and putting those tools into practice and applying them to your own specific situation and your your combination of experiences um is the best way that i can even explain it um my my boss my mormon boss actually put it uh, kind of explained it really well where we were talking about faith and hope and he was saying that hope is just hoping one day that things will get better. All will be well. Let me just wait for the, for the good to come. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me wait for my anxiety to pass. Let me wait for my depression to pass. That's not going to work because like you said, it, it sucks you in. It holds you there. Um, I think of kind of a mosquito bite analogy uh, as my favorite way to do it, where you have a mosquito bite, you know, you're not supposed to scratch it. You know, you're not supposed to touch it but you do a little bit and then it gets worse and then you can't stop scratching. You can't stop touching it. You know that you're not supposed to scratch mosquito bites, but you're going to keep going back and scratching them just like anxiety. Um, One of the hardest things for me was I would analyze myself and say, I know I shouldn't be anxious. I have a great life. I have a great family. I have great friends. I have every reason in the world to be a super happy person, but I'm not. Why am I not? I I just, you, you can't help it. Right. Right. Um, so that's that mosquito bite that just keeps coming back up and itching and itching, you keep scratching it. And so, um Well, it kind of
0: like makes me think like you're talking to like you know, you were a happy person, you had a great family, you had great friends. And that kind of makes me wonder, is anxiety something that's kind of always been fundamental to the human condition? Is this something that a hundred years ago people were feeling but just couldn't feel like they couldn't talk about there. Maybe there was social stigma. Maybe there was just a misunderstanding of what it was. Maybe they just called it something else. I don't know. Or is it something that's like a new development? Is there something that's gone on recently, whether it's like technology or whatever, that's changed our collective psyche to make these things just more prevalent in society?
8: I love this question because I think it's both. I think that for the longest time humans have the capacity to be anxious and that it will, it will, we evolved to be anxious as kind of an evolutionary mechanism for survival, right? On a day to day basis, I mean, every everything before about fifty to hundred years before now, it was all about how am I to, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to make money to feed my family? How am I going to find shelter for the next? You know, whoa. pick an era. People were anxious about surviving basic survival. Whereas now, where life's gotten a little bit easier for a lot of people, shelter's usually taken care of, food is often taken care of. Um, I mean, you see lots of, you know, rich, successful people, super anxious and depressed. I think it's that it's shifted from instead of being anxious about survival and being able to meet those needs. Okay, I fed my family today. Awesome. Let's move on. Let's do the next thing. It was, you know, help them live and help give them meaning to life. Now where that's taken care of, it's like, all right, well, that mechanism is still kicking in. um, But about everything and anything else. Totally. um, Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like there's way more we kind of default to anxiety way more than we used to because there's so much more stimuli and so much more going on around us. You know, with the Internet and with technology and where we're always connected to everything, it's always easy to always be thinking about everything. And where we're not worried about survival, we're just going to slip into worrying about something else. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so it's a new paradigm in the sense that we're being anxious about new things. Um, but I think it's always been around. Mm-hmm. Just It used to be, you know you'd be anxious about something, you'd fulfill that, and you'd move on to the next thing. And right. It was, it was kind of, Had what more... People meeting. Had more healthy outlets, right? Right, like if exactly.
0: You, I, I, I personally think about it in terms of, like, evolutionary psychology, mm-hmm. and you would think of it as, like, your brain's a problem-solving tool to enable you to survive. Right. And when you're surviving, just like you're saying, you've got a whole different set of not even needs, but like wants that you can focus on, whether that's climbing the social hierarchy or, you know, and, and you can find more productive outlets for it. You know, I think that's a, something that's been a strategy for me is when, when I feel anxious, it's usually because I don't have, like, a healthy problem-solving outlet to mm-hmm. be going on. Like, like what it, I don't remember what the saying is, like, idle hands are the devil's playground. Yep. Like, I feel like idle hands are, like, anxiety and depression's playground, you know? Right. like when, when you're not actively able to put yourself into, like, a productive problem-solving um, scenario, your brain just starts, like, finding things to just worry about. And then I, it's weird because I'll feel like I'll step out of, like, a depressive period of time or anxious period of time and look back and be like like, like, what was I even doing then? Like, it almost feels like this, like, lost, dark time of just, like, being so in my head, and it's, it, and it's, like, really hard to get out of that, too, because, like, you know, it's easy to say, oh, just, like, find some new productive thing to throw yourself into, but when you're in that rut, it's just, like, how do you pull yourself out? It's, like, so tough.
8: And that's exactly how I manage it, too. I stay busy, you know, I try to accomplish something all the time, whether it's, chores or taking care of my dogs or doing uh you know doing my rock business or whatever it is i like to stay busy because as soon as you get in that lull and you watch a bunch of tv and you know that you start eating nasty snacks and you just get lazy and 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 then it definitely creeps in the most then yeah. for sure so um what do you think
0: people who don't have anxiety misunderstand about people who have experienced or are experiencing it
8: it goes back to my disclaimer. Uh, there's not a simple solution. And um, I, think, I think many people with anxiety know that they're dwelling on things needlessly or that it is unhealthy, but their mind won't let them think of it any other other way. Uh, a lot of people hate the phrase, well, 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 it's all in your head, right? People will tell anxious, depressed people, it's all in your head. It's like, yeah, that's the problem. That's the whole point. That's what I can't get around. I know it's all in my head, but it's there and I can't get rid of it. Um, and, and, and with that being said, you know, coming from that position of, okay, I've been there, done that, learned to manage it. Um, you know, I know they mean well. And and so it's, it's just, it's difficult. And I think that both sides need to kind of be more patient, be more understanding of and work together to find a solution instead of, Hey, here's a solution. Oh no, that's not going to work. Instead of throwing it back and forth, like you said, Mm -hmm. um,
0: So, um, and this is, this is kind of related. I know that there's probably some people that listen to this and there's, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of anxiety, right? Like there's, there's people that have it to some degrees that flares up. There's some people that have it very situational. There's other people that just like have absolutely severe stuff from intense past trauma. Other people that are just like, you know, chemical imbalances. Mm -hmm. If you had to just give like one broad piece of advice to the whole spectrum, that would be like as... Equally applicable as possible. Right. What would you? What would it be? That's a tough question. So you can no, stew no, no, on no, that
8: for good. a bit. Um, make the effort. Make the effort to find that solution. Um, I mean, it's easy. It's easy not to take action and not to use any of the tools that anyone recommends to you whether it be therapy or whether it be mindset tools or whether it be a healthy diet or whether it be medication, it's, it's easy to have that thrown at you and to, you know, to say, yeah, that might help, but you, you, you gotta try, you gotta make that effort um, because if you don't make an effort at least for a little bit, then it's just going to, it's going to stay there. Um, So I don't know if that really answers, you know, the, the broad anxious people versus not anxious people and what to tell them across the board. Um,
0: no, I I mean
8: I think that's I think it's good
0: advice because I think any even someone that's in like severe clinical um severe anxiety like at least like going and like meeting with a therapist mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist and like really taking the time to just 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 you know talk to someone about it, right? Like even if you feel like it's in such a place where no one can help or no one can understand um you know, give, give someone a chance. And, you know, I've, I've, I know people that have had severe anxiety. They've gone and tried a therapist and it hasn't worked out. hasn't panned out. Like give it another try, give it some time and then give it another try. It's, right. it's hard to find a therapist that you can connect with and like open up and be vulnerable with what you do find a good one though. It makes a world of difference.
8: Yeah. And that's the only thing that, that really helped me is I took action. I mm-hmm. took responsibility for my own happiness and I took action and I did what people told me to try and make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've always been a very independent, very, you know, very independent person, um, in all aspects of my life. And, and for a while that, you know, combined compounded with the anxiety and depression, there's a little bit of bitterness of people telling me what to do and people telling me how, you know, what would make me happy and how to live my life and whatever else. But, um, definitely just, just throw that out the window and take a chance on them and listen and, and take some action. Um,
0: like and exactly. it might not solve everything but like right, right. It, you can at least improve something
8: yeah and it can be a small action it can start by you going out and going on a 30 minute walk every day and thinking about what makes you anxious and why and analyzing that and and uh so that the next time that happens you can be aware of it and then you can use other tools to to try and correct it in the moment um yeah and and with with that being said it's like it might not work and that's the saddest part about it and that's that's the most uncomfortable part about this for me as someone trying to help people and wanting to help people is that, is that just having been there, I know that there's, you can't really pull yourself out of it all the time, mm-hmm. but but baby steps. Like mm-hmm. I said, be patient, um, take action, and 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 try and stay busy, um, and and try and establish. It a positive mindset to throw another cliche in there. Um, but, but those cliches I think exist for a reason. And I think that there's a reason people, you know, say, just be, be here now, live in the moment. You know, um, my favorite one is, is a little Zen saying, you know, tend to the parts of the garden that that you can actually reach. Don't worry about things that's out of your control. Um, I think there's a lot of anxiety, in the news and the media and and things that are triggered that way, you know, existential threats coming at us left and right. Well, do you have any control to fix those, make them better? Mm -hmm. You know? No, you don't. Mm -hmm. And then be yeah recognize what you have control over and take control over it rather than letting the things that you don't have control over take control over you.
0: Totally. And be realistic about the the standards around you. You know, like don't it, you mean you, i loved what you said earlier about like just finding yourself comparing yourself all the time like you weren't the person that you wanted to be or people weren't the person you wanted them to be right. and making sure that you have realistic expectations of accepting other people and accepting yourself yeah. and avoiding perfectionism in yourself and in other people mm-hmm. is also a healthy mindset to keep you from being anxious it's, i love that tend to the things in the garden you can reach cool right. well thank you so much for andrew for coming over and Being vulnerable and talking about your experience. No problem. And um thank you everyone for tuning in, and uh we'll see you next time.